Welcome to Field to Fan, a podcast from Delta Tray where we discuss the intersection of media and technology in sport and entertainment. I'm Jason Bradwell. Hello and welcome to episode four of Field to Fan, where we seek to uncover the strategies and technologies behind some of the biggest operators in sport, TV, and film. My name's Jason. I'm a product marketing director here at Delta Tray, the global leader in fan-first digital experiences. Today, we've got a really great episode lined up. I sat down with Richard Mills, design director here at Delta Tray, to discuss the role that design plays in business growth. You know, they say that content is king, but if that's the case, then design sits at the foot of the throne. For organizations looking to win, the days of considering design as just something that looks nice are long over. Now it's something that can act as a real key competitive differentiator in what is a crowded market. Specifically, Richard talks me through some of his hard-won advice on how operators can get the most out of their external designer technology teams. The process that he adopts with Delta Trace hundreds of sport and media organizations to unstick problems and validate decision-making, and how the lockdown has changed user behavior and where design can be used to meet customers at where they are. All this and more on Field to Fan. Let's go. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Richard Mills, Design Director here at Delta Tray. How are you doing, Richard? Hey, Jason. Yeah, doing good. Doing good. Really uh, pleased to be here. Really pleased to have you here. So you've been working for Delta Tray for about 12 months now, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, well, a bit more than that. Uh, yeah, 12 and a half, I'd say, coming up to you. 12 and a half months. 12 and a half months. <laughs> one, one and a half years. <laughs> one and a half years, yeah. Um, what's your role within the business? Um, so I'm Design Director. Uh, I sit kind of at the global level, working very closely with Derek Ellis in the Sydney office, who's our president. Um, so yeah, that's the area that I sit in. I kind of have a foot in the OTT um, video experiences uh, side of the business. Uh, but by and large, I'm involved with the overarching governance of design, how design is used within within Delta Tray, but also um, uh, working with the uh, strategies side of things. So working with our clients around how we can kind of look to innovate and create new things, um, new and exciting things within, within sports and media. And tell me about your journey. So where, where, where have you come from uh, to get to Delta Tray? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is, uh, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> so I've, I've had a really great and uh, interesting story within the, within the design world. I've always been in product, but sort of like when I started out, it was more when, you know, the birth of the internet. I sound so ancient when I say that. Mm. But um, it was more when like product meant physical product, right? Um, so I was I was studied what was uh, was and still is known as uh, industrial design. But obviously, as the internet started to grow and things started to change, there was more of uh, you know a shift into like product also encompassing the the digital product side of things. So you know, whilst at the beginning I was starting off you know building things like you know uh, consumer electronic goods, sometimes like home products uh, sometimes even packaging it kind of got less and less you know as, as industry shifted towards china so then became more of a transition into more like brand-led and innovation thinking and i think like i always was more interested in in not so much the end product but actually how you got to the end product and so then it became more like innovation strategy uh, you know, building design teams and also working out the the, the new processes that handle sort of digital product development. Yeah, so that's kind of how I got here today. Specifically with Delta Tray, well, you know, I've always been a fan of, of, of TV and sports. 
Um, and, you know, I just wanted to kind of, uh, yeah, work for a great company that had, you know, just an insane link to that industry with just like a you know, client list to dream, dream about. What role does design play within Delta Tray? You know, uh, how is it woven through uh, the DNA of the company. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, yeah, it's it, again like the, the Delta Trade journey is is has been been long. You know, it's it's started out as a as a tech uh, company. You know, uh, way back when tech and data, and again as as the, as the company matures, um, so has the design involvement um, uh, uh, matured as well. And I think like you know, in this day and age, when you're you're creating product and you're you know you're creating something that is both desirable for for businesses as well as consumers you need to recognize design and that's always been a powerful uh, part of uh, the delta trade offering you know it's not just about um having that as the last layer of of, of polish before a product goes to market it's how you, um, you know, integrate design into that journey so you've got engineering product and design working together just to create the the, the, the best the, the best products that, uh, that we can achieve in your experience rich uh, having worked with you know hundreds of clients uh, over the course of your career, um, how important has design become for them? Has there been have you noticed a kind of transition from it being something that is a nice to have, you know, just make things look pretty, to actually being something that can be a driver of business growth? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like whether you know clients come to that conclusion themselves just organically as they go through the process because design more often than not is is like your you know your 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 killer application right it kind of can and most often be the thing that differentiates you uh, in the marketplace so you know more often than not clients um organically get there but you know you can't help look at the industry as a whole when you look at people like you know apple google facebook you know these are companies that uh you probably not argue in the beginning come across the design-led organizations but as they turned into the beasts that they were you know, mm. that kind of narrative that it was it was a big part of their you know their their growth and their you know uh, their differentiator and, and it is a big part and still is a big part as to why we look to them and just uh, their huge status you mentioned uh, you mentioned a term just then design-led and i think it's something that i certainly have heard a lot about um, you know, in the articles I read, the podcasts I listen to, and I think it's a term that the industry at large is aware of. But for those who don't know what it actually means, spell it out for us. Design-led is really about using the tool, toolkit and the, the methodologies of a designer to get to a better answer. You know, I think the way that um, companies have to operate now, it's all about like getting ahead of the competition, being confident in your decision making process. And I think there was a time when a lot of those decisions were done with tradition, traditional uh, management consultants who, you know, I love management consultants, don't get me wrong. Uh, but more often than not, the, the, the way they get to their solutions is all about you know, presentations, documents, charts, um, spreadsheets that kind of stuff they look at numbers and that, that's where they spot the opportunities i think with design-led thinking what you're actively doing is is is, is using the act of creativity you're you're making things real as you go along and designers you know we don't tend to like words we're not good at like writing things although actually we do have to be a little bit better in that area these days uh, but you know we like to create things. We like to make things with our hands. We like to build prototypes. And that is an invaluable um, tool for any business to get to the market faster. The way that you can just instantly create something, prove whether it's right or wrong, or you know, find the, the weaknesses and then improve on them. And it's really that behavior 
that is the, the, the biggest value to two businesses. You mentioned there uh, about our friends, management consultants, and uh, we all love management consultants, but how, and this is obviously simplifying things, but the reason or the methodology they get to, uh, to get to where they need to get to is largely driven by numbers. Um, but I mean, that's obviously numbers play an important part in design as well when it comes to user research and things like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a huge like crossover in it and it is uh, a happy, happy world where consultants and designers are kind of pretty much the same, one and the same entity. And actually what you're seeing is, is that is absolutely the case. You know, you've got the you know, designers um, working very closely and within organizations like Accenture and McKinsey as, you know, traditional um, uh, management consultants, as much as you've got like management consultants using you know, creativity and design-led processes in their work. So it's, it's not like a, you know, a strict divide. One thing that I've seen, you know, developing um, and, and you know, on my journey through the design industry is, is, is that shift from the myth of the designer being like, you know, your steel-rimmed, polo-necked-wearing, you know, God who just kind of calls all the shots. I think what, what the, the, the move in the industry is, is, is you need the data, you need the insight, you need the, the research to back up um, where you're going with a, with a solution. And so, yeah, numbers play a, a huge part, whether it's, you know, your, uh, your quantitative analysis or your qualitative analysis, it's, 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 um, you know, it's a huge part of getting to the right solution. But I guess that also works hand in hand with, for want of a better term, that gut feeling, you know, and you mentioned there, you know, a big part of uh, the design led process is just testing, iterating, experimenting, evaluating. Um, so I, I guess they have to work hand, hand in hand. You need the numbers, you need the facts, you need the data, but you also just have to do what feels right and pull the two together and, uh, to get to where you, where you need to be. Yeah, absolutely. The kind of secret source, the, you know, the X factor thing is always going to be like, a uh, a huge part of, 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 of the magic of design. But again, that design led process, uh, you know, uh, welcomes that kind of behavior because, you know, you can go with your gut instinct and if you can quickly put something together, whether it's you know, like something testable, a prototype or a sketch or something that you can show someone, then you, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're welcoming that gut feeling. And you know, if you're right, amazing. But also if you're kind of wrong, no harm's made. You've kind of low investment, but learnt a lot. It's an interesting parallel because I can, I can draw it to, to our world, you know, or my world, I should say, um, in marketing where evaluating the ROI of certain activities is impossible until you actually go out and do it. And that's why setting up a framework where you can afford to do those experiments and make those mistakes and learn is so important. And it doesn't matter whether you are a, a startup building, you know, a SaaS product or whether you are a multinational media sport organization, the thinking is the same, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a huge, I'm a huge believer of like, it's not the, what you do is, but it's how you do it. It's those key behaviors that are the most important uh, element in driving, you know, successful uh, solutions. You know, I won't use the term phrase. We're just, you know, we want things to be better, whether we're in marketing, you know, commercial finance, you know, we want to come to a better conclusion. And it is all about the behaviors. You know, it's all about accepting uh, failure or at least managing that kind of failure so you can quickly move to the next level. It's also, you know, um, not focusing too much on the end product. It's, if anything, yeah, behaviors and your, the, 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 the way you go about things is, is a lot more important than actually what you specifically do. 
So I'd like to bring the conversation to our world, which is that of, of sport and media organizations. Any examples of companies in our space that, that you feel are doing a really great job at leveraging design in order to grow their business? Yeah, it's funny. It's a timely kind of question because I think I don't want to be the only person, well, no, the, the, the millionth person to, to reference coronavirus and COVID <laughs> in, a, in a recent podcast, but I will. But, you know, <laughs> given the situation we're in, I think every um, business is and is is stepping up their game in this specific area for those reasons. You know, there are a lot of problems in the world at the moment that need solving, particularly within sports. Um, I think directly the companies that are ahead of the curve, um, uh, who we've worked with, certainly NFL, uh, we've had a, a, a great relationship and um, uh, developing their OTT product but also areas within their digital ecosystem as well, like how they can kind of grow and scale their business. And, you know, the results are, are in their numbers, like uh, NFL is like a, is a beast and Brickbox as well, actually, ITV. They are kind of, it's, they're a great story in sort of like a different way, you know, ITV and for people who don't know the English um, television market, you know, often we're kind of seen as a cottage industry <laughs> in, in, the, in the world. Mm. And so, you know, when, when this proposition of BritBox, you know, this, this uh, gathering together the best of British uh, TV film together, you know, there was a bit of hesitancy in the market around that, you know. Mm. Um, but it's a huge success story, like, and, and how we've partnered with them, created this, like, incredible uh, experience where people can, you know, come and see some of the, the you know, the... the Arguably the best light entertainment in the world, <laughs> um, and uh, but actually, what's incredible is 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 how it's you know growing and developing over you know the last uh, year, two years. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic story of, of, of developing developing sort of like a you know, innovation design led approach to their product. So for those who don't know about Britbox specifically, um, remind us. Essentially, it was a. Uh, the, the, the three, four main British broadcasters, BBC, ITV, Channel 4, um, coming together and essentially launching a subscription service, a subscription OTT service that housed um, a lot of their uh, historic archive content. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It started off with just um, BBC and ITV in the beginning. Uh, and they, 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 they had a product in, in the States. They uh, released a, a product in the UK, although it's a, a different kind of business model. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, it's the best and, and the greatest of English TV uh, shows. Um, and now that's incorporated, yeah, Channel 4, Channel 5. Um, yeah, lovely product. What I like about the Britbox story is that it is uh, a great representation, in my opinion, of how design and technology can work in tandem to deliver a fantastic product because Britbox product is powered by uh, Delta Trace Access Platform, which is the kind of targeted UX platform that is used by non-technical operators to manage the user interface, the user experience in real time without touching any code. Um, talk us, talk us through that because you were involved on the product. How did the how did you work with the Access team, with the design team to to kind of get to the final outcome? It's really having a combination of, of you know, a great collaborative relationship with, with the clients. So they had a great team who understood their product, um, you know, their, 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 their um, content, the stuff that they had to play with. We had a great technology base 
and a means to kind of deliver that to their audience. Now, from a design angle, what's interesting is because it is, it is the whole three things working together, like product engineering and design, you know, coming together uh, to develop a user experience that kind of addresses their core audience needs. And when you look at something like their proposition, and, and you know, it's not like ITV and, and BBC have been around for 10 years and they've only got like a, you know, their depth of their library of content is goes across to the dawn of TV, right? Mm, mm. <laughs> so, and we're, you know, the, the power of the access platform is providing a targeted uh, experience for audiences. So giving them what they want to see. So then, you know, establishing what those, what, how that comes about is, is where the strength lies. It's the perfect marriage of, of understand, you know, the, the, the client understanding, you know, what they have, uh, the technology that we can provide, and then also the design understanding, almost like the glue that kind of brings those two areas together. And then, you know, that's, that's kind of where, where we end up with just, you know, like a, a lovely service in, in Britbox. So one of the services that Delta Trade provides uh, for its clients in sport and media is something that you call the design hustle. Talk us through that. What's its purpose? What does it help customers achieve? So yes, the design hustle. So this is our again, problem solving technique that works. Uh, we kind of talked about it earlier on, you know, what, what do businesses need? They need to kind of solve problems. So how do you go about that? We need some sort of established process that you can, you know, the, 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 the rules of engagement are laid out so you can get from A to B. Um, we have this thing called the design hustle. It's our own, it's our own uh, problem solving technique. Um, the reason why we have our own sort of problem solving technique is, is because we're specifically looking at that fan audience engagement and fans and the like are very much different to, to customers and consumers. You know, mm. we, we, we deal with people who already have a love and a passion for the kind of product. Right. You know, arguably consumers, when you look at finance and you know, uh, uh, e-commerce, it's, it's more transactional, but we have, you know, there's a bit more of a, a stake in the game there. And we need to, a process that recognizes that. And that's the, you know, that's purely the, what design hustle is about. It's about problem solving for you know, fans and audiences. So who is the design hustle for, you know, how would someone know that they need one? Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned, uh, it's all about problem solving. Um, what type of problems do we solve? Well, when we look at industry and the types of clients we work with, there are a number of uh, things that they're looking to do within their business. And it could be something around just getting you know, better, better focus on their own service, their own uh, ecosystem, their own product. Uh, it could also be about how they then take that to the next level you know, in a competitive environment, you know, how you get ahead of the curve. So we can work with them to just advance their proposition um it could also be about you know just uh, finding a little bit more clarity of where they kind of want to play or who they want to target or work with or you know reach so you know that element is a is a huge part you know, we talked about the fans uh, who are the fans where are they um what to, who, who are going to be the next generation of fans so we can we can work with our clients to just uh, give them better understanding and clarity around that that space so if we were to uh, paint out a couple of scenarios here about where a design hustle could be implemented, um, for instance, one, if I understand correctly, could be, you know, as simple as client 
has an idea about a great new feature and a killer feature that they think is really going to uh, motivate their audience to spend more time on their platform, Delta Trade could go in with the design hustle to effectively evaluate that against whatever metric the client uh, needs to know. Is, is that, would that be an example? Yeah, it's a great example. I think, you know, we live in a world where, uh, you know, people are looking at like, uh, you know, how to improve their, their, their services, their products, you know, features, functionalities, but how do they know that they're actually going to you know, trigger their, their audience and their fans to do that action? And, and that's where we can come in. We can kind of go in, give clients the confidence. And it's all about that, you know, momentum um, of just proving out things very quickly with low um, you know, investment with, with, with uh, real customers and deliver that value there. And I guess another big part of it is, uh, and I think you said this a moment ago, validation, because when you've got so many voices in a room who are trying to get to a, a single conclusion, bringing in an external, bringing in, it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but bringing in an external additional voice and running a process like a design hustle can bring some, some harmony to proceedings. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, that's a great point, actually, like the harmony side of things. You know, it's hugely optimistic to think that, uh, you know, within massive organizations that, you know, a good idea is going to make it through to the marketplace. You know, it's not necessarily about that. Everyone has like great ideas. It's how you can kind of uh, activate it and generate that impact. And the design hustle kind of provides that because, you know, in any organization, ours included, there are multiple people, there are multiple personalities, you know, it's not just one person who goes, right, we're going to do this and it's going to happen. You know, you know, not every company has a Steve Jobs type of figure. Uh, so the design house is really about that collaborative uh, process that, that generates momentum that can kind of not only provide validation and evidence behind what direction to move in, but actually generate that big sort of like the momentum behind it to, to make it succeed. Looking bigger picture, um, with everything that's gone on over the last few months with coronavirus and the lockdown and you know, an increase in consumption of media, what, what, are we, what, what is Delta Trace seeing in the sports and entertainment space from operators? You know, how are they uh, meeting customers where they are? How are they adapting their, their kind of processes, their products and their services to uh, accommodate for the, this quote-unquote new normal? I was going to say, there's kind of two answers to this. There's the, the pre, pre-COVID and, and the kind of uh, post-COVID answer. Um, I think already there was a shift. The services, the technology, the understanding, and the sophistication of the marketplace was, was pointing us in a direction where it was all about like data, fan data, how you can kind of understand, learn more, and then deliver the right service and solutions to your fans and audiences. That was already in place. And I think that's you know, just accelerated in the environment that we're in now. You know, um, the sports as a whole not only has to understand their, um, you know, their own fans, but actually in a crowded environment that COVID has kind of generated, it's actually understanding other people's audiences as well. Because we're kind of, it is a crowded marketplace. It's not just competing within your own sports environment you know i mean it's 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 everyone's kind of uh, competing now you know for because the airtime you know is limited now at weekends we've seen we've got champions leagues we've got formula one we've got everything happening at the same and you can't you know it's you know it's just you know simple maths you can't kind of necessarily with old processes win in that environment so now we have to like look and 
and that means understanding the behavior and then kind of using that to, to react to, to how things are going to be in the future. What I think is actually interesting about right now is the opportunity that is in place for uh, operators who traditionally have been overshadowed by the kind of the big players, you know, of, of the media and the sports world. So if we look at media, if we just look at entertainment, for example, film, TV, industry dominated by Netflix, Amazon, Apple, you know, th those kind of players with COVID having struck and people spending more time at home, having more time on their hands to watch content, you're seeing the rise of players like, like Brickboxes that are a little bit more regional. Um, the content's a little bit more specific, but people are hungry for it. And I, you see the same thing in the sports world, right? And, and perhaps more so because with um, major sports having been hit hard and only now slowly starting to return, there's an opportunity there for smaller sport properties um, that perhaps don't have the same level of restrictions in place with with a lockdown um, you know maybe they're solo sports or you know duos or I'm thinking things like snooker and tennis and um, golf and who obviously have a passionate audience base but now have an opportunity on their hands where they've got a little bit of a head start on the kind of the big team sports to really start capturing some eyeballs and I would imagine that adopting a design-led approach now if you haven't already is fundamental um as part of that journey of, of capturing that audience while it's on the table yeah absolutely and there's one area that kind of is of huge interest to everyone and we're kind of seeing you know, through covid what was you know, a highly and very interesting thing between you know, traditional sports uh, i use the horrible uh, air commas there uh, and esports you know there you know there was a huge shift from you know, a, you know, in a time when there wasn't live sports, people kind of um, adopting you know, esports. You know, Formula One is a great story there. But then, from the consumer side, it then that like the traditionally games in that area was sort of like niche, despite it being massive. It still had that perception of being you know, computer yeah. games, nerdy guys, and you know, I'm consider myself one of those nerdy guys, by the way, before I <laughs> offend anyone. But, um, you know, it had that kind of perception around it. But now there's more of an acceptance um, and recognize, reckon, recognizing that this is kind of like the future. But with um, the esports world, you know, uh, there was a certain demographic. And now even they have to kind of understand, well, where is the next level of growth here? Who are our new audiences? We've already seen, you know, uh, people who traditionally wouldn't be our, our, our audience already getting more involved in this world because of the situation that we're in so you know even even you know uh, organizations and, and new sports like esports who still have like a massive audience but actually have to address like well where do we kind of move to now because you know it's it's just an interesting environment from from both sides and and rightly so with like even smaller you know uh, i wouldn't say smaller sports but like less established sports kind of need to um, understand you know, their fans, their audiences. You know what's the next sort of like generation of their particular sports fans, and and uh, you know how how do they engage with sports and, and the brands? So I want to finish up, Rich, um, by asking you. You know, as 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 someone who spends a lot of their time working um, with with clients, um, considering that you know to some extent Delstra could be considered an agency, a design agency. What would be your tips for Delta Trades clients in how they can maximize the value of their relationship with an external provider? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting question. I think for me, it, is, it goes back to something we mentioned like way, way back at the beginning, is, is to not necessarily focus on the what. It's definitely kind of more about how you get there. And that's where design can come in and be that differentiator. Uh, the way to go about that is really uh, having design at the beginning of the process to understand things like the KPIs, the goals, uh, because that's where the impact is made at the beginning. Um, once you get that uh, kind of uh, understood and framed, then the end destination is going to be a lot easier. And I think, you know, when you work together with design and just kind of generating, well, that level of understanding is going to be a successful outcome all around. Richard Mills, Design Director at Delta Tray. Thanks very much for joining us today on Field to Fan. Thank you very much, Jason. Anytime. And that's it for episode four of Feel to Fan. A huge thank you again to our guest, Richard Mills. If you've enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a comment. It all makes a huge difference, and I thank you so much in advance. If you'd like to learn more about Delta Tray, you can visit our website at www.deltatray.com, or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter. All credits for the soundtrack go to Rex Banner, and this episode, as always, was produced by Marco Lorenzi. See you next time.